Hey guys, you're listening to Brief. This is episode two of To Kill a Mockingbird. We are now in part two of the book, starting with chapter 12, and we're going through chapter 20 in this episode. And don't forget, there's one more episode to this book. Okay, chapter 12. Jem is 12 years old now, and he's going through some changes. Scout doesn't know how to deal with him, and Atticus tells her to just give him some space. Scout starts looking forward to the summer so she can hang out with Dill, since Jem is not spending the time with her that he used to. But Dill doesn't come. He sends a letter saying he got a new dad, and he's staying with him and his mom and building a boat that summer. Scout says, Dill's letter concluded by saying he would love me forever and not to worry. He would come get me and marry me as soon as he got enough money together. Scout was happy that he got a new dad, but she was sad that he wasn't coming, and she reflects on the past summers and realizes that the best parts were with Dill. She says on page 132, Summer was the swiftness with which Dill would reach up and kiss me when Jem was not looking, the longings we sometimes felt each other feel. With him, life was routine. Without him, life was unbearable. She's like eight years old at this point, by the way, and I was super into boys when I was eight. But I don't know about like longings, feeling longings for them. Anyway, Atticus leaves them for two weeks because the state legislature was called into an emergency session. That Saturday, Calpurnia is worried about the kids going to church alone since Atticus is gone. And so she decides to take them to her church. She cleans them up extremely well. She says, I don't want anybody saying I don't look after my children. And when they arrive at church outside of town, they get a lot of stares. One woman named Lula tells Cal that the white children aren't welcome in their church, but she's quickly ushered away and the rest of the churchgoers are super friendly and tell them they're happy to have them. The Reverend starts the meeting and welcomes the Finch kids. He says, you all know their father, and he tells them that the money collected that day and for the next three weeks will be given to Tom Robinson's wife, Helen, and their kids. Tom Robinson is the man on trial, but that's all we know so far. They're about to sing a hymn and Scout doesn't understand how they're supposed to sing with no hymn books. And she watches as Cal's eldest son, Zebo, gets up. He's the only one with a hymn book. And he reads a line and the congregation recites it back to him in a beautiful song. Scout says that the sermon was a lot like the sermon in their church. He warned people about the evils of the world, alcohol, gambling, etc. And on page 138, it says, but women were worse. Again, as I often met in my own church, I was confronted with the impurity of women doctrine that seemed to preoccupy all clergymen, which I just think is really funny. He collected money at the end and didn't let anyone out of the building until they had $10 to give Tom Robinson. Jem and Scout ask Cal a bunch of questions after, and we find out that the Yule father accused Tom Robinson of raping his daughter, and that's why he's in jail. Tom's wife is having a super hard time finding work because no one wants to hire a rapist's wife. Scout's confused as to why people would believe the Yules because she's never heard Atticus talk worse about a family than them, and she says according to him they're absolute trash. She asks Cal what rape is, and Cal says you'll have to ask Atticus later. And Jem asks why they don't save up money to buy hymn books, and Cal says that there's only four people in the congregation who can read. And they find out that she's older than Atticus, which they are surprised by because she doesn't look old, and that she doesn't know how old she is exactly or when her birthday is, so she just celebrates it on Christmas because that's easier. She says she's always taking care of the Finches. She used to live at Finch Landing. And when they get home, they find Aunt Alexandra sitting in the rocking chair on the porch, as if she had sat there every day of her life. Chapter 13. 
Aunt Alexandra says she and Atticus have decided that it's time for her to come stay with them for a while so that Scout can have a female influence. She thinks that Scout will soon be interested in boys and clothes and she's here to help, except Scout knows that neither is true. When Atticus gets home, he asks Scout if she'd like Aunt Alexandra to live with them, and Scout says, I said I would like it very much, which was a lie, but one must lie under certain circumstances and at all times when one can't do anything about them, which is wise beyond her years. The neighbors were kind to Auntie and had her over for tea and such. On 147, Scout says, Auntie was one of the last of her kind. She had riverboat boarding school manners, let any moral come along, and she would uphold it. She was born in the objective case. She was an incurable gossip. When she went to school, self-doubt could not be found in any textbooks, so she knew not its meaning. She was never bored, and given the slightest chance, she would exercise her royal prerogative. She would arrange, advise, caution, and warn. She's super judgmental of all the people in Maycomb, and she seems to believe that things like drinking, gambling, meanness, humor, flightiness, and things like that are hereditary. And she says that every family has their thing or their streak. So they've got like a gambling streak or a drinking streak or a mean streak. And Atticus asked her once, he says, when you stop to think about it, our generation's practically the first in the Finch family not to marry its cousins. Would you say the Finches have an incestuous streak? Auntie doesn't answer. She does not appreciate that comment. Scout says, I never understood her preoccupation with heredity. Somewhere I had received the impression that fine folks were people who did the best they could with the sense they had. But Aunt Alexandra was of the opinion, obliquely expressed, that the longer a family had been squatting on one patch of land, the finer it was. Jem protested that that would mean that the Yules were fine folks, and Scout explains that in Maycomb, it's all about the families and their characteristics. They rarely left Maycomb, and they married each other, so everyone started looking similar to each other. She says generations just repeated, everyone was the same as their mother before, etc., and they all had like a thing, right? So there's a thing that says, no Crawford minds his own business. Every third Merriweather is morbid. All the Bufords walk like that. So they all have their thing. So Auntie finds out that Jem and Scout don't really know anything about their ancestry, except for the story of Cousin Joshua, who tried and failed to kill the president. Auntie makes Atticus discuss with the kids what it means to be a finch. So Atticus goes in and he says, You're the product of several generations, gentle breeding, and you should try to live up to your name. And he snaps at Scout for playing with a comb and makes her cry. And she says, this was not my father. My father never thought these things. My father never spoke so. Auntie had put him up to this somehow. And Atticus breaks down. He comforts her. He tells her to forget what he said about being a finch. And he leaves. So at that moment, he's like, all right, screw it. I'm not doing what Auntie says anymore. Chapter 14. Scout hears someone in town mention rape. And she remembers that she was supposed to ask Atticus what it meant. He didn't really explain it to her very well, and then they got sidetracked because Auntie took issue with the fact that Calpurnia took the kids to her church. Atticus and his sister get into a fight about keeping Cal around. Atticus firmly says she's not going anywhere until she wants to, and that Cal is family. Jim and Scout both go to bed. Scout feels something on her floor in the dark as she's walking to her bed, thinks it's a snake, and makes Jem come look, and they find Dill hiding under Scout's bed. Dill has an elaborate story about how he got there. His new father kept him chained in the basement. 
He managed to escape, joined a traveling animal show, went all over Mississippi before coming to Maycomb, and he'd been hiding under her bed for two hours. This is obviously not true, but he likes to tell tales. Jem betrays their childhood pact. He's older now, and he goes and gets Atticus and brings him into the room. Atticus tells Scout to get some food for Dill and that he won't make him go back, but he has to tell Miss Rachel that he's here and spending the night at their house. Jem says to Dill, he says, Dill, I had to tell him, you can't run 300 miles off without your mother knowing. Dill sleeps in Jem's room, but in the middle of the night, he comes into Scout's room and she tells him not to be mad at Jem and he says he isn't, but he just wanted to sleep in her bed. So they talk. She asks why he ran away. Was his dad really that mean? And he says he wasn't. He says his parents weren't interested in him. They were gone all the time and when they were home, they just stayed in their room by themselves. Scout says, as Dill explained, I found myself wondering what life would be like if Jem were different. What I would do if Atticus did not feel the necessity of my presence, help, and advice. Why he couldn't get along one day without me. Even Calpurnia couldn't get along unless I was there. They needed me. So Scout tells Dill that he can't be right, that of course his parents need him. And Dill tells her that that's not the case. They buy him anything they want, and then they want him to leave them alone. Dill tells Scout that they should get a baby. He says he heard that there was a man who had a boat who would row to an island where all the babies were and you could order one. And Scout tells him that he's wrong, that her auntie says that God drops them down the chimney. And Dill tells her tales about babies and they both fall asleep. Before they're asleep, Scout asks why Boo Radley has never tried to run away. And Dill says maybe he doesn't have anywhere to run off to. Chapter 15 about a week later, some men come to their house to see Atticus. It's the sheriff, Heck Tate, and a bunch of other prominent men in the county, including Mr. Underwood, who owned the county newspaper, and Dr. Reynolds. Jem and Scout go to the window, try to listen to their conversation, but men say that they're worried because they're moving Tom Robinson to the county jail for the trial, and they're worried about a lynch mob coming for him. They argue about it, and the men seem to be trying to convince Atticus to stop defending him. And Atticus says on page 166, That boy might go to the chair, but he's not going till the truth's told. And you know what the truth is. And Jem thinks it's a gang coming for Atticus. Um, and when he's finished talking to him, he asks them if it was the Ku Klux Klan. And Atticus tells him, The Ku Klux is gone. It'll never come back. Before bed, Jem tells Scout that he's worried about Atticus' safety. The next day, at church, Mr. Underwood tells Atticus that they've moved Tom Robinson to the county jail. And after dinner that night, Atticus leaves the house with a light bulb and extension cord, and he takes the car. Jem is worried, so him and Scout and Dill sneak out to go see what Atticus is doing. They find him sitting in front of the jail on a chair, the light bulb hanging above his head, and he's reading. As they watch him, a few cars pull up and a bunch of men get out. They hear them arguing, asking Atticus if Tom is there, and they tell Atticus to leave. Atticus says he's not going to leave and tells them to leave, but they won't, and he says that the sheriff is close by, but the men say that they've called him on a diversion out in the country, so he's not there. And Scout doesn't really understand what's happening, but she realizes that this is trouble, and so she runs to Atticus Atticus sees her and then Jem and Dill run up and he's terrified obviously to see his kids show up in this situation and he tells Jem to take them home. Jem refuses and they argue about it for a while and then one of the men grabs Jem. Atticus yells at him and Scout kicks him in the balls and then she starts looking around at the men and doesn't recognize any of them except one man and she says hey Mr. Cunningham. He doesn't respond and she tries again. She asks him how his entailment is going because she remembers Atticus telling her about it. He still doesn't respond, so she asks him 
she says, do you not remember me? And then she tells him that she goes to school with his son, Walter, and that he's a very nice boy. And they invited him for lunch over for lunch one day and asks if he'll say hi to him for her because it's summer and they don't see each other. And she, I mean, she's just being an innocent eight-year-old, right? Seven-year-old. I don't know how old she is. She looks around at the men and sees that they're all gaping at her, mouths halfway open. Even Atticus is shocked. And finally, Mr. Cunningham, she says, did a peculiar thing. He squatted down and took me by my shoulders. I'll tell him you said, hey, little lady. And then he tells the men to clear out. They get in their cars and leave. When they're gone, Tom Robinson calls to Atticus and asks if they've left. And he tells them, yes, to go to sleep. They won't bother him anymore. And from the next building over, Mr. Underwood yells down and says he had Atticus covered the whole time. He's hanging out his window with a rifle. They walk home and Scout sees Atticus reach out and massage Jem's hair, which is his one gesture of affection. Chapter 16. Auntie obviously disapproved that the, that the children had gone out, but Atticus was pleased that they were there because they stopped the danger. Auntie pointed out that Mr. Underwood was there the whole time, and Atticus says it's funny that he was when he knows how much Mr. Underwood hates black people. When Calpurnia leaves the room, Auntie scolds Atticus for talking like that in front of her. And Atticus is like, Cal knows, everybody knows. He says anything fit to say at the table is fit to say in front of Calpurnia. She knows what she means to this family. And Auntie says she doesn't think it's a good idea because it encourages them. She says, you know how they talk among themselves. Everything that happens in this town's out to the quarters before sundown. The quarters is where all the black people live. Atticus says, maybe if they didn't give them so much to talk about, they'd be quiet. Scout asks about Mr. Cunningham, why he would try to kill Atticus when they're friends. And Atticus tells her that he's basically a good man. He just has blind spots like everyone else. And on page 179, he says, a mob is always made up of people, no matter what. Mr. Cunningham was part of a mob last night, but he was still a man. So it took an eight-year-old child to bring them to their senses, didn't it? That proves something, that a gang of wild animals can be stopped, simply because they're still human. You children last night made Walter Cunningham stand in my shoes for a minute. That was enough. Atticus leaves to go to work, and the kids go out to the front yard and watch as a parade of people go by heading to the trial. Miss Maudie says she won't be going because it's morbid watching a poor devil on trial for his life. Some of those foot-washing Baptists that she was talking about drive by and they tell Miss Maudie that her yard is vain and that she'll go to hell and she laughs at them. The kids sneak away and go to town. They see the masses of people gathered around the courthouse eating lunch. Jem tells them about Mr. Dolphus Raymond. He's a man a drunk man, apparently he's a drunk, who was supposed to marry a white woman, but she killed herself when she found out that he was sleeping with a black woman. He now lives with that black woman, and they have many mixed children. The crowd starts entering the courthouse. The kids overhear some men talking about Atticus. Scout is confused because they say that Atticus was assigned this case and that he has to defend Tom, but they're mad because he's actually aims to defend him. She doesn't understand why people can be mad at him when he actually has to defend Tom. And Scout wonders why Atticus didn't tell the kids that he had to do it and wonders what the men mean and why they're so mad. So they follow the crowd inside, but they can't find seats. They see Reverend Sykes from Cal's church and he invites them to sit with the black people upstairs on the balcony. 
The jury is made up of farmers. Apparently, it's known that town folk rarely sat on juries. They were either struck or excused. And so they're all farmers. Scout thinks a couple of the farmers looked like dressed-up Cunninghams. The judge, Judge Taylor, was a man who ran his court with an alarming informality, but he was a good judge and did his duty well. First witness is already on the stand. It's Mr. Heck Tate, the sheriff. The trial begins with the prosecutor, Mr. Gilmer, questioning Heck Tate. Mr. Gilmer is from a neighboring town called Abbotsville. He asks Mr. Tate to describe what happened on the night of November 21st in his own words. Tate says that Bob Yule came to him on the night of November 21st and they rode to his house, found Mayella Yule, his daughter, on the floor of her room beaten badly. Yule said it was Tom Robinson and Mayella agreed. So Tate went and picked up Tom Robinson, Mayella identified him, and they took him in. Atticus gets up to cross-examine Hectate. He asks multiple times if a doctor was called to tend to Mayella. No doctor was called. Atticus asks Tate to describe her injuries. He says she was beaten around the head, arms, and neck. Atticus asks which eye was blackened, and he says it was her right eye. Her face was banged up on the right side. Mr. Tate, as he says that, realizes something and looks at Tom Robinson. So clearly, Atticus's aim here is to point out that a left-handed person would have been more likely to beat her up on the right side of her face. And Tate realizes this and looks at Tom and must know that he's either not left-handed or something. Atticus makes Tate repeat what he says again, that it was the right side of her face. Scout notices that Jem is excited and he realizes that Jem must understand something that she doesn't yet. The next witness is called Bob Yule. He gets up. Scout describes their living conditions. So we remember that he doesn't care for his kids and he's permitted to hunt year-round in order to feed them because he takes their relief check and just gets drunk. The Yules didn't go to school and the county can't stop them from doing whatever they want. They live behind the town garbage dump. Their residence is terrible and full of junk. The only nice thing in their yard are a few red geranium flowers in glass jars tended neatly by Mayella. Past their house, there's a small black community nearby. Scout observes on page 195, she says, All the little man on the witness stand had that made him any better than his nearest neighbors was that if he scrubbed with lye soap in very hot water, his skin was white. So, Mr. Gilmer questions Bob Yule, asks him to describe what happened in his own words. Scout mentions here that she's never heard her father raise his voice in his life except to a deaf witness. Okay, so Bob Yule uses crude language and weird slang words, and the judge warns him that it will not be allowed in his courtroom. Yule says he was coming in from the woods, he heard his daughter screaming, he ran to the house, looked in through the window, and saw Tom Robinson raping and beating her. He ran inside as Tom was running out, and he didn't chase him. He just went to check on Mayella and then went to the sheriff. But as he tells the story, he uses crude language, again saying, I seen that black N-word rotten on my Mayella. And the courthouse erupts in anger. The judge bangs his javel for five minutes trying to get order. The reverend up at the top tries to get the kids to leave because he realizes that it's not appropriate for them to be there, but Jem refuses. Atticus goes to speak to the judge when it dies down, and the judge says that it's been requested that the women and children leave the courthouse, 
but the judge says they'll be permitted to stay if they are silent. Anyone who is not silent will be held for contempt. Yule finishes his testimony and says he knew it was because he lived nearby that N-word nest. He says, I've asked the county for 15 years to clean out that nest down yonder. They are dangerous to live around. And Mr. Gilmer thanks him, and Yule acts like he's going to get up and get off the witness stand. But when he looks up, Atticus is right in front of him and asks him to sit back down because he has some questions. Okay, so you guys, I don't know if you're into lawyer shows or whatever, but Atticus Finch is such a badass lawyer. I'm so stoked for you guys to hear all of his cross-examinations and his closing argument. It's so amazing. Anyway, Atticus cross-examines Bob Yule. He asks him why he didn't call a doctor. He says, you weren't concerned about Mayella's physical condition? Yule says he has never called a doctor in his life. Atticus asks Yule if he heard the sheriff's testimony. He's like, did you hear all of it clearly? And do you agree with it? And he says, yes, he agrees. And he said, okay, so you agree that she had a black eye and she was beaten on the right side of her face. Yule says, yes, he agrees. Atticus has the court reporter read back Hectate's testimony for Bob Yule to hear again. And then he asks again if he agrees. He does. Atticus asks if he can read and write. Bob Yule says yes. Scout's getting nervous, but she says it seems like Atticus knows what he's doing, but she doesn't know where he's going with it. So she says that Atticus has told her from basically birth. (laughs) He says, never, never, never on cross-examination, ask a witness a question you don't already know the answer to. Atticus hands Yule a pen and paper and tells him to write his name so the jury can see. He writes his name and the judge sees him and says, you're left-handed, Mr. Yule. Yule didn't understand what this meant and started attacking Atticus's character. The judge stops him, but now Scout understands what Atticus is trying to do. But she thinks it's just as likely that a right-handed man could have held Mayella down with his right hand and punched with his left, which is true. Chapter 18. Mayella Yule is the next witness. When first asked to tell her story, she bursts into tears. Judge Taylor let her cry for a minute and then asked her what she was afraid of. And she points to Atticus and she says, I don't want him doing me like he done Papa. The judge is confused, but he tries to calm her down and tells her that Atticus won't be mean to her and he'll stop him if he does. And Mr. Gilmer gets up, says, tell me your story in your own words. Her story is as follows. One night on November 21st, she was on the porch. Tom Robinson walked by and she asked him if he could help her chop up a chiffer robe, which I think is like a wardrobe. She offered him a nickel and went inside to get one. And when she turned around, he jumped on her. He grabbed her by the neck, beat and yelled at her and took advantage of her, is the words she used. She says the next thing she knew, her dad was back yelling, asking who'd done it. She told him, fainted, and then the sheriff was there. She says she's positive she fought as hard as she could and she's positive he took full advantage of her. So now it's Atticus' turn for cross-examination. He asks Mayella how old she is. She's 19, and when he starts asking her questions, he calls her Miss Mayella and Ma'am, because that's how Atticus is. Mayella tells him she gets mad, and she says she won't answer his questions if he keeps mocking her and making fun of her. Atticus looks at the judge. The judge is like, what are you talking about? What's the matter with you? Atticus isn't making fun of you. She says she's upset because he's calling her Miss Mayella and Ma'am, and she thinks he's being sassy and mocking her. The judge tells her that that's just the way that Atticus speaks to people and says to let the record stand that the witness has not been sassed. 
Atticus proceeds his questioning, and this is what we find out about Mayella and the Yules. She has seven siblings. She's the oldest. Her mother died a long time ago. She doesn't remember her. She went to two to three years of school and can read and write as well as her father. The relief check they get is not enough money to feed them. There's suspicion that their father used it to buy alcohol anyway. Sometimes her father is gone for days and they don't know where he is. They don't have any shoes, but when it's cold enough to need them, they can make them out of tires from the dump. They used water from the stream near the dump. The kids were responsible for bathing themselves and mostly they didn't. The younger kids were always sick and they didn't go to school because their father needed them at home. Atticus asks Mayella if she has any friends and she's super offended by this question. She says her father is tolerable except when dot dot dot. She doesn't finish the sentence and only nods when Atticus says except when he's drinking. She says that her father has never beat her or hurt her. Mayella tells Atticus that Tom passes her house every day. Atticus asks if this was the first time she ever asked him to come inside the fence surrounding their house. She kind of jumps at the question because she's caught off guard, but after a moment she says yes. Atticus asks her again and she says two more times that she had never asked him to come in the fence before. Atticus asks if she's ever asked him to do odd jobs for her. She says maybe, but she can't be sure because there's a lot of black people around there. She can't remember any occasions that she asked him to do work for her before this. Atticus repeats what Mayella said to Mr. Gilmer about what Tom did to her, asking her if that's correct. She says yes. He asks her if she remembers him beating her in the face, and she hesitates. He says, you seem sure enough that he choked you. All this time you were fighting back, remember? Do you remember him beating you about the face? He has to ask her again because she's not answering. Finally, she says, no, I do not recollect if he hit me. I mean, yes, I do. He hit me. And Atticus says, well, which is it? Yes or no? She says, I just don't remember. It happened so quick. Atticus makes her identify the man who raped her. He tells Tom to stand up. He stands up and Scout says, his left arm was fully 12 inches shorter than his right and hung dead at his side. It ended in a small shriveled hand and from as far away as the balcony, I could see it was of no use to him. That's on page 211. The reverend tells the kids that Tom got his arm caught in a cotton gin when he was a boy and that it's basically useless now. Mayella tells Atticus that that's the man who raped her. And Atticus asks how and she says, I don't know. Mr. Gilmer objects, saying that Atticus is browbeating, which is intimidating, the witness. And the judge laughs at him and says, if anything, Mayella is browbeating Atticus. Okay, so now I'm going to read this conversation on 2.12 and 2.13 because it's not super easy to summarize. So also, it's not super easy to listen to. And Atticus has a really hard time with this cross-examination, which you'll find out later. But so he says... Miss Mayella, you've testified that the defendant choked and beat you. You didn't say that he sneaked up behind you and knocked you out cold, but you turned around and there he was. Do you wish to reconsider your testimony? And she says, you want me to say something that didn't happen? No, ma'am, I want you to say something that did happen. Tell us once more, please, what happened. I told you what happened. You testified that you turned around and there he was. He choked you? Yes. Then he released your throat and hit you? I said he did. He blocked your left eye with his right fist. I ducked it. It glanced. That's what I did. I ducked it and it glanced off. Mayella had finally seen the light. You're becoming suddenly clear on this point, Atticus says. A while ago, you couldn't remember too well, could you? I said he hit me. All right. 
He choked you, he hit you, then he raped you. That right? It most certainly is. You're a strong girl. What were you doing all the time? Just standing there? I told you I hollered and kicked and fought. Atticus reached up, took off his glasses, turned his good right eye to the witness, and rained questions on her. Judge Taylor said, One question at a time, Atticus. Give the witness a chance to answer. All right, why didn't you run? I tried to. Tried to? What kept you from it? I... He slung me down. That's what he did. He slung me down and got on top of me. You were screaming all this time? I certainly was. Then why didn't the other children hear you? Where were they? At the dump? No answer. Where were they? Why didn't your screams make them come running? The dump's closer than the woods, isn't it? No answer. Or didn't you scream until you saw your father in the window? You didn't think to scream until then, did you? No answer. Didn't you scream first at your father instead of at Tom Robinson? Was that it? No answer. Who beat you up? Tom Robinson or your father? No answer. What did your father see in the window? The crime of rape or the best defense to it? Why don't you tell the truth, child? Didn't Bob Yule beat you up? When Atticus turned away from Mayella, he looked like his stomach hurt. But Miss Mayella's face was a mixture of terror and fury. Atticus sat down wearily. Suddenly, Mayella became articulate. I got something to say, she said. She says, I got something to say, and then I'm not going to say no more. That black man yonder, she says N-word, that N-word yonder took advantage of me. And if you fine fancy gentlemen don't want to do nothing about it, then you're all yellow stinking cowards, stinking cowards, the lot of you. And then she bursts into tears and she wouldn't answer any questions after that, even from Mr. Gilmer. Scout says somehow Atticus had hit her hard in a way that was not clear to me but it gave him no pleasure to do so. They take a 10-minute recess, and Mr. Underwood sees the kids sitting on the balcony, and Scout notes that Mr. Gilmer seems to be prosecuting almost reluctantly. He wasn't really objecting to anything. And the judge comes back and asks Atticus how many witnesses he has, and he says, just one. Okay, before we move on to chapter 19, Atticus just revealed or just accused Mayella of trying to seduce a black man, which is a huge issue because that's like the worst thing a white woman could do in this world, right? And so that's why Mayella is so upset because if that's really what she's hiding, she doesn't want anyone to know that. And anyway, you'll find out more in this chapter, but I just wanted to point that out. Chapter 19. Tom Robinson comes to the stand and struggles to take the oath. He can't put his left hand on the Bible, right? Because his arm is crippled. He's 25 years old. He's married and he has three kids. And Atticus asks him all these questions and this is how we find out. So he's, Tom is 25 years old, married with three kids. He's been in trouble with the law before. It was disorderly conduct with another man. Both were convicted, but the other was able to pay the fine. Tom couldn't pay and he spent 30 days in jail. Tom picks cotton for Mr. Link Dees. He works for him year-round doing yard work when he's not picking cotton. He passes the Yule house every single day. Tom tells Atticus that Mayella asked him to come chop a chiffa robe for her last spring. He remembers it because he had his hoe with him, something he only carried in the spring. Mayella offered him a nickel, and he refused and went home after he helped her. Atticus asks if he ever went there again, and he says, yes, sir, lots of times. Atticus says, asks why, and he says, she called on me, sir. Seemed like every time I passed by yonder, she'd have some little something for me to do. Did she pay you? 
No, she never offered after the first time. I was glad to do it. Mr. Yule didn't seem to help her none, and neither did the other children. I knew she didn't have any nickels to spare. Tom says that the other children were always running around, and sometimes they'd watch him work. Atticus says, did Miss Mayella talk to you? Yes, she talked to him. Scout says that the way Tom described her made her sound like the loneliest person in the world. On page 218, she says, She was as sad, I thought, as what Jem called a mixed child. White people wouldn't have anything to do with her because she lived among pigs. Black people wouldn't have anything to do with her because she was white. Tom Robinson was probably the only person who was ever decent to her, but she said he took advantage of her, and then she stood up and she looked at him as if he were dirt beneath her feet. Atticus asks Tom if he ever went onto the Yule's property without an invitation. He says no. Scout tells us that Atticus sometimes said that one way to tell whether a witness is lying or telling the truth was to listen rather than to watch. Scout listens to Tom, and she noticed that he denied it three times in one breath, but he did it quietly with no hint of whining, and she believed him. Scout says that Tom is a fine specimen of a man, which means she thinks he's handsome. So this is Tom's side of the events of November 21st. He passed the Yule place on his way home. It was oddly quiet. Mayella asked him to help her with something inside. She tells him that there's a door off its hinges, but he goes inside and there's nothing wrong with the door. He tries to leave, but she shuts the door in his face. Tom realized that it was quiet because the other children weren't running around. He asks Mayella where they are. She sent them to get ice cream in town. She says, it took me a year to save seven nickels, but I done it. They all gone to town. Tom tells her it was nice of her to treat the kids. Tom says he's going to leave, but she asks him to get a box down from the top of a wardrobe. When he's standing on the chair, she grabs him around the legs. He kind of jumps, knocks over the chair and gets as he gets down, and he's confused. Then he says, Mayella sort of jumped on him. Violently? No. She hugged him around the waist. The courtroom erupted. Taylor restores order quickly. And the story continues. Then she kissed Tom on the side of the face. He says, She says she never kissed a grown man before, and she might as well kiss an N-word. She says, Kiss me back. I say, Miss Mayella, let me out of here. And I tried to run, but she's got her back to the door, and Ida had to push her. I didn't want to harm her, Mr. Finch. And I said, let me pass. But just when I say it, Mr. Yule yonder hollered through the window. What did he say? Tom doesn't say at first. He says it's not fit to say. And finally, he says that Mr. Yule said, you goddamn whore, I'll kill ya. And he said he was speaking to Mayella. And then Tom ran away after that. Atticus explicitly asks Tom if he raped Mayella. And he says, no. Did you harm her in any way? No. Did you resist her advances? Tom says, I tried to without being ugly to her. I didn't want to be ugly. I didn't want to push her or nothing. Scout says, Until my father explained it to me later, I did not understand the subtlety of Tom's predicament. He would not have dared strike a white woman under any circumstances and expect to live long. So he took the first opportunity to run, a sure sign of guilt. So Atticus asks if Mr. Yule said anything to him. He says he doesn't know because he ran away fast. Well, why did you run? He says he was scared, and Atticus asks why, and he says, Mr. Finch, 
If you were an N-word like me, you'd be scared too. Atticus sat down and Mr. Gilmer got up to ask questions. From the crowd, before Mr. Gilmer talks, Mr. Link Dees stands and says, I just want the whole lot of you to know one thing right now. That boy's worked for me eight years and I ain't had a speck of trouble out of him. Not a speck. That's on page 222. Judge Taylor is pissed. He makes Link Dees leave the courthouse, tells the court reporter to scratch it from the record, and tells the jury to disregard what he said. So Mr. Gilmer starts questioning him. He asks Tom first about the disorderly conduct because he just has to bring it up again. Because the jury is more likely to believe someone to be guilty if they've been guilty before. Mr. Gilmer says Tom is mighty polite to do all that work for Miss Mayella for free. They go back and forth a bit about why he did it. And he says in the end that it didn't seem like she had anyone to help her and he felt sorry for her. Mr. Gilmer repeats it, emphasizing that he felt sorry for her. None of the white people in the crowd liked Tom's answer, because in what world would a black man feel sorry for a white woman? So Mr. Gilmer is like, so you went by her house November 21st and she asked you to chop up a chiffa rope. Tom says no. Mr. Gilmer asks if he's calling Mayella a liar. No, sir, just saying she's mistaken in her mind. Mr. B Gilmer calls Tom boy whenever he refers to him, and he's not respectful to him at all. He recounts Mayella's story to Tom, and Tom says she's mistaken in her mind. So why did you run off? I was scared. It's not safe for a black man to be in a fix like that. And Mr. Gilmer says, but you testified that you were innocent. What fix were you in? And he says, I was scared I'd end up in court. Mr. Gilmer says, scared you'd have to face up to what you did? No, scared I'd have to face up to what I didn't do. Mr. Gilmer asks if Tom's disrespecting him. He says, are you disrespecting me, boy? At this point, Dill starts crying super hard, and Jem makes Scout take him outside. They go sit under a tree, and Scout tries to figure out why he's crying. Dill says he couldn't stand how Mr. Gilmer was talking to Tom. It was so hateful the way he spoke to him. Scout says that's just how prosecutors are. Dill says no, it's different than how he treats the other witnesses. And Scout's like, well, those are his witnesses. Of course he's nicer to them. And he's, Dill says, Mr. Finch didn't act that way to Mayella and old man Yule when he cross-examined them. The way that man called him boy all the time and sneered at him and looked around at the jury every time he answered. And Scout doesn't quite understand what Dill means. She's thinking in her mind that all lawyers act that way. But Dill's trying to express that he's being racist, though he can't figure out how to say it. From the other side of the tree, Mr. Dolphus Raymond spoke. And he says, I know what you mean, boy. You aren't thin-hided. It just makes you sick, doesn't it? Okay, chapter 20. Mr. Raymond offers Dill a drink from a paper bag. He drinks and Dill smiles because it's Coca-Cola. Remember that Mr. D Raymond is apparently the town drunk. But when Dill drinks it, he realizes that it's just Coke. Mr. Raymond asks them not to tell on him because it'll ruin his reputation. Scout asks him why he pretends to be drunk when he's not, and he tells her that it's easier for people to believe that he's drunk, that's why he prefers to be with a black woman, it's easier for them to understand when there's a reason for it. He says, I'm not much of a drinker, but you see they could never never understand that I live like I do because that's the way I want to live. He tells them that one day they'll understand more, and Dill will know why he feels sick about things like the way Mr. Gilmer treated Tom. He says he'll grow up and he won't cry about it anymore, but he'll know it's wrong. And Dill says, cry about what? 
Mr. Raymond says, cry about the simple hell people give other people without even thinking. Cry about the hell white people give colored folks without even stopping to think that they're people too. Scout says that Atticus believes cheating a black man is 10 times worse than cheating a white man. And Mr. Raymond tells her that she doesn't understand this yet, but Atticus isn't normal. He's not racist. He doesn't use those words, but he says he's not normal. And someday she'll see enough of the world to understand that Atticus is good and different than most. Scout and Dill go back inside and Atticus is giving his closing arguments. Jem tells Scout he doesn't see how they can't win. Atticus paces across the jury as he speaks to them softly. And Jem and Scout have never seen him do this, but he takes off his coat jacket, loosens his collar and his tie, and unhooked his pocket watch. And he says on page 231, Gentlemen, I shall be brief, but I would like to remind you that this case is not a difficult one. It requires no minute sifting of complicated facts, but it does require you to be sure beyond all all reasonable doubt as to the guilt of the defendant. To begin with, this case should never have come to trial. This case is as simple as black and white. And I want to read the entire closing argument because it's amazing, but obviously I won't, so here's the main points. He says there's no medical evidence. The entire case relies on the testimony of Mayella and her father, witnesses who are unreliable, Atticus has pity for Mayella, but not enough to put a man's life at stake for her own guilt. Atticus says she committed a crime against the honored code that white people do not sleep with or lust after black people. And when she was caught, she tried to get rid of the evidence. But the evidence this time is a human being. He says she must put Tom Robinson away from her. Tom Robinson was her daily reminder of what she did. What did she do? She was white and she tempted a black man. She did something that in our society is unspeakable. She kissed a black man. Bob Yule saw what happened, but he corroborates Mayella's story. But there's evidence pointing to the fact that she was beaten by a left-handed man. And we all saw Mr. Yule is left-handed and Tom Robinson has a useless left hand. But Mr. Yule did what any respectable white man would do. And he called the police on Tom. And so a quiet, respectable, humble Negro who had the unmitigated temerity to feel sorry for a white woman has had to put his word against two white peoples. He says the white witnesses in this case believe that you will convict Tom Robinson on the assumption and belief that all black men lie and are immoral and should not be trusted. But we know this is a lie. None of us are without sin. We've all lied and done immoral things. He mentions that Thomas Jefferson said, that all men are created equal, but we know that that's not true. He says some are born rich, some are born poor, some have more opportunities than others, some are smart, some are gifted, etc. But he says there's one place in America where all men are created equal, and that's the court. Atticus tells the men he has confidence that they will make the right decision. As he walks away, he whispers, so barely anyone can hear, in the name of God, believe him. Atticus sits down and the kids watch as Calpurnia walks up the aisle of the courtroom towards him. Okay, guys, that's it. We made it through chapter 20. The next episode is the end of the book, so go listen to that, and make sure you follow Brief Podcast on Instagram so you know when I post new books.